1: From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Welcome to another episode of Off the Post. I'm your host, John Mattis of Post Media, and I have Travis Yost of TSN on the line, I believe from Las Vegas, probably poolside, maybe at a gambling table. I'm not really sure. What What's up, Travis
0: it will be poolside it's not yet and i i i went to vegas and i still i can't tell time because this is this is our second attempt at doing a podcast because i can't properly tell time I'm on the west coast
1: yeah it's it's been a struggle over this weekend and we've got a small window of opportunity here to talk about the cup final we're going to recap the conference finals pretty briefly first um and then get into the good stuff cuz it's already—we're uh, already one day away from from this thing getting going. Uh, game one is Monday, and we're recording this uh, Sunday afternoon. So uh, let's get at it um, with the conference finals. So centers are out, ducks are out. Are you—are you happy about this? Are you happy with the final that that we have here, or are you—are you shedding tears because Eric Carlson's out of the playoffs?
0: Uh, it, I think yeah, it's just both. Uh, I, I think the two of the four teams that were left. I think Pittsburgh and Nashville were the were the better teams in their respective series. So from a pure hockey standpoint, I think this is the best possible matchup. So I'm excited about that. But there was like a, a slice, a, a piece of me that wanted to see PK Subban versus Eric Carlson that day because I think that would have been super fun. But uh yeah, I, I, I think I think I, I think from a pure hockey matchup, you're going to get the most talent, you're going to get the most at uh, the highest level of performance, and ultimately that's what you want. the The interesting thing here really was the NHL has to be, like, thanking their blessings that Pittsburgh went through because I I know Nashville's a fun story and Ottawa was a fun story, but an Ottawa-Nashville Stanley Cup final would have been a a bit of a disaster, I think, ratings-wise for the NHL.
1: No, you're completely correct. There's something about the Ottawa market where, you know, when you even get past the local turmoil over the tickets or whatever's going on there, um, it doesn't translate well. Even in Canada, like, you – Let's just say you're 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 in Saskatchewan in the middle of the country. You're gonna run into a Leaf fan, a Habs fan. There's a, you're not gonna run into a Senators fan though. There, it just they don't that brand doesn't travel well. I don't know if it's because the people don't leave Ottawa or if it's just they're not a team that people latch onto. They're not original six or whatever. But um, yeah, that would have been a ratings nightmare uh, for the NHL. And you know what that that power play on Ottawa was so atrocious. They couldn't even gain the zone most most times and barely got a shot off most times. I was just I was happy to see that go and, and sort of their Cinderella run to to come to a close just because it had gone on for so long, um, all the way to game seven overtime, double overtime. Like it was it was pretty crazy how far they went and they should be proud of themselves and they're a great story with, with Craig Anderson, Clark MacArthur and, and what they went through this year. But, you know, in terms of a final, I think we got the best one. Yeah,
0: I I think to Ottawa's so there's a positive and a negative on the ledger. I think the negative, I think you captured it. There were just so many things that were fundamentally broken with that team. And understand, I'm grading on a curve here. We're talking about an Eastern Conference finalist team here. I'm not talking about your average run of the mill. Can they make the playoff team? If you're, if I'm grading you as a Final Four team, I'm going to be harsh as a grader. And when you have a power play, that's one for. And one for was, quite frankly, kind. Um, they, It was an atrocity every time they were up a man or even two men. I think their only goal actually came up five on three. Um, and, and really, half the game, when Eric Carlson was off the ice against Pittsburgh, uh, Ottawa was pretty much shelled time and time and time again. And credit to Ottawa, because they bent. I mean, you you saw the dam kind of collapse. And I think it was game five. The game they lost 7 nothing. Basically, everything fell apart. But outside of that game, their depth, even though they got bombed on for most of the series, didn't give up a ton of goals. They kind of kept them in the game. And uh, and that, that's where I say the positive and negative. The positive piece is, I, I think, what Ottawa showed here, and it's easier said than done, but the problem that Boston and New York and even Pittsburgh ran into is how do you defend a team who has the, maybe the best player in any given series? I think Pittsburgh would have been the exception because I think Crosby's marginally, or uh, I think Crosby's better than Carlson. In,
1: right, in right. terms
0: of the wins he can add over a full season, but The reality is Carlson can play half of a game. So if if you have half of a game where your team is going to be the better team in those shifts, then your margin of error is really small. And when you saw the Rangers and Bruins struggle, they just didn't have the answers when he was off the ice. And then when he was on the ice, they got crushed. We kind of saw that shift back towards normalcy in the Pittsburgh series. But I, I think he was so dynamic still. That it made it again a game seven double overtime really close series. When Pittsburgh probably should have won that, I don't know, in six. Um, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, I don't think they were one of the four best teams. That's fine. Um, I I still like. I'm more optimistic than I think some are in terms of what their like three year outlook looks like because they're not a cap team. They can do some interesting stuff. I think I think they were a team that improved over the second half of the year. Like I like ads like Victor Stahlberg, and those types of guys make your roster better um, when you have them when you can plug them into depth roles. I, I think there's opportunity. They've just got to figure out the defense after Carlson. The second pairing was a train wreck. Third pairing wasn't much better. Um, they've got they've got some real. Uh, so they have a, the foundation built. They just need to kind of build on top of that.
1: Well, and if you're a center's fan, I guess the the silver lining is that you know, Colin White played a playoff game, maybe two, Uh, Thomas Chabot is going to come through, he's playing or played in the Memorial Cup, and as usual, you know, kind of that super stud defenseman that, that center's fans will, will and should, and maybe already are very excited about, Um, so if he, if he makes a team next year, that blue line looks marginally better, and and, you know, he's going to get uh, you know, quality minutes, and he's going to improve over a couple seasons. So at least they have that kind of that that prospect coming through the ranks, where it's not completely, uh, you know, beyond Carlson and, and maybe Mathod, and and beyond that, it's it's pretty bleak. But then you got Shabbat coming, so maybe he'll change things a little bit. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I just just to your, to your point,
0: if Shabbat comes in and he plays as is, like he develops as we expect, and he he becomes a quality quality number three, and he can anchor the second pairing. Ottawa is in a fantastic spot because you're going to have the best pairing in the NHL and you're going to have a second pairing that can do more than tread water. Like, the, the CeCe enough pairing this year absolutely killed them all year. If they can just fix that and they can have two pairings that are quality as and one obviously anchored by Carlson, they're in a really good spot. And that, that's why I'm I'm optimistic on their, on their fortunes, actually, over the next couple years because I don't think they have a ton of work to do. They already have, like, compare them to the Leafs. I think the Leafs, top to bottom, have, like, a better – built roster but the problem is they don't have a Carlson and it's harder to find a Carlson than it is to find a guy like Shabbat who can maybe come in and anchor your second pairing so I to that end that's where I think uh, I, I think Ottawa has real potential next year
1: speaking of defensive depth the uh, the Ducks go out uh you know the, the the Predators have just been sort of that team that that doesn't fall behind in a series doesn't really fall behind often in games like they sort of controlled every series that they've been in and the Ducks, it was the same thing. And I think the Ducks sort of shot themselves in the foot though, because I believe it's four out of six games they they trailed in the first period. Uh four out of six games they they were dramatically outshot in the first period. Like I don't know how that happens so often when you know it's a 50-50 chance. Um and it wasn't even close. Like some games they were getting outshot like 12 to 2. It's like how do you come out with such a, a poor first period? Um, but uh, I'm gonna miss watching, you know, a guy like Cam Fowler and, and even Josh Manson kind of opened my eyes to him. And um, I don't know, he might go to Vegas, he might go to another team. Uh, they they just have so much on that back end that they should try to get something out of that in this in this crazy offseason when the expansion draft is thrown in there.
0: Yeah, it's it's honestly ridiculous, right? Like they, I I think Nashville has the best defense in the NHL. I think Anaheim's number two, but Anaheim has far and away the deepest. Defense, um, and they they basically have four. They can assemble four NHL level pairings. Like <laughs> there are mo- there are a lot of teams in the league that can only assemble two. Um, it, it, it's pretty ridiculous. And I, I think one you touched on Fowler, you touched on Manson and a couple others, but I like Hanfu Lindholm in the games he played. Just continued to solidify my opinion that he is an elite high end first pairing defender. The exact type of guy you need to drive play for 22, 23 minutes a night at five on five. Um, again, those are the guys that are really hard to find. Anaheim has him locked in; he's not going anywhere. Um, I do think the one thing that Anaheim—so this, this, by the way, this final four broke great for me because I had Nashville at six and Pittsburgh at seven, and by sure luck, it went both ways. But one of the reasons why I took Nashville in that series was there were there were kind of whispers about Anaheim being a bit more banged up than was let on, and, and I think you saw all those reports trickle in um, at the end of the year. I think yeah. I think both. Is it Lindholm and Votnin are out for four to five months?
1: Uh, yeah, like with, serious uh, injuries. They, they
0: both have the same injury, I think, right?
1: Yeah, I can't remember it off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember the, the tweet that I I want saw, to say
0: but... it's a labor injury, but I, I'm not 100% sure. Either way, they're both out four to five months, and I think Votnin is actually close to six months. I know it is. I know Sammy Votnin is one of them. Um, but but it, it creates another interesting dynamic here because you're going to lose one, if not two guys. Like they, they honestly have to probably trade one guy. Maybe Cam Fowler makes sense. Um, if they can swap him to a Toronto or a Buffalo, I think that's a very possible uh, scenario. If you can swap him to one of those two locations and pick up something really meaningful, maybe a, a forward because they're not completely deep in, in the forward ranks, um, maybe Toronto then, to that end, makes a lot more sense as a trading partner. Um, but like, I, I think there's opportunity there. They're going to lose one in all certainty for uh, to Vegas. The question is, you're going to have Lindholm on the first pairing, that's sure, and then you're going to have, if I if I were in the Ducks front office, I'm looking for Sammy Vothan to anchor my second pairing. Like, that's the other guy I'm going to lock up. And Fowler, while I like Fowler, I think he starts to become the odd man out. If you're looking for, hey, we have to trade one of these guys, and we need to trade someone with value to get a really talented forward back, I, I think he's the name that you could see moved out. Like Manson's another one. I think they like his game maybe a bit more than Fowler's, though. I, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be really interesting to see which direction they go. But um, like, I, I think about a Fowler plus deal to Toronto for one of their second tier forwards. I think that can make an awful lot of sense for both teams there. Um, and, and Toronto, by the way, is not the only team in the market for defense, but you got like two thirds of the league looking for a, for a number two or a number three in, in today's NHL. So, I think Toronto's the, the the name that jumps out, but there's a lot of other teams that could come in, if, whether it's Fowler Votman, or someone else.
1: Yeah, I this off season um, is going to be, you know, <laughs> it's just going to be news after news after news. Uh, you know, with Vegas working the phones and sort of trying to get ahead of the expansion draft, and then teams in general just you know, put, you know, putting their <laughs> putting their roster on a whiteboard and going, which guy can we afford to lose and can we try to get something out of another guy because we might lose him too? It's just, there's a lot of balls in the air and a lot of, you know, shoes are going to drop all those sort of cliches. And I think uh, June is going to be a very busy month. And then you add on the actual draft, the, the entry draft, and it's kind of a week-ish draft. So that tells me maybe there'll be a lot of trades then. Um, so it's it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. The, and, and the ultimate X factor here is you've got all of these names kind of floating around. And we know only some of them will move, some of them will won't, but you'll have a lot of news surrounding these guys. And then you have one guy who interjected himself a month ago who we're almost certain is going to move this summer, and that's Ilya Kovalchuk. And the, when I say ultimate X factor, the question is, and it, it's going to be up to the scouts to answer, is Is he still Ilya Kovalchuk? And if he's still even 90% of Ilya Kovalchuk, you're getting an elite first line winger who can comfortably score 30 goals in a season like these guys do not become available in the NHL and some team uh, almost, I almost I would argue probably two-thirds of the league have the assets and resources to get him now I think he's going to constrain where he's going to go uh we saw the reports he either want to stay in New York or the Florida areas which you got like four or five teams in that mix and you're probably going to want to net out the devils because I don't see him staying there but th- I mean talk about a guy like just a name randomly floating into the pool of all these other names of guys who we think could be on the move, and uh, you can make the argument that he's the most talented of the whole bunch. And the guy's in his mid thirties, so it, that's that's another thing. That and I actually don't know what the uh, what the statues surrounding him are, like because uh, he can theoretically move before these other players start moving, right? Like they, they, they the league is not going to let him in. So they're going to have to work out some sort of sign and trade, but I think that can happen actually pretty quickly, right?
1: No, I think you're right, and it's one of those murky situations because I don't know how many times it's really happened where the guy you know breaks his contract and then says, "Hey guys, I want to come back," and you know the Devils technically stolen his rights, and like you said, there has to be a sign and trade. So I think like the NHL does often, they're doing this on the fly and trying to figure it out as it goes along. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to the Cup final. So. Let's break it down. You know, offense, defense, coaching, uh, that whole shebang. Uh, obviously, goaltending as well. Um, game one is Monday, like I mentioned. Um, it's I <laughs> with the offense. Like it just seems like it's going to be a bloodbath at the center ice position because you have Crosby, Malkin, and then you know if you want to even go further, Benino as as the three guys there, and then you know what what's what's going on with with Ryan Johansson out. You have Colton Sissons and Yarn Crock, like. I don't know. I just when I when I look at the offense, I can't get past the, the center ice position. Like I know that Nashville has great wingers, the Forsbergs, Arvidson's, Neal's pretty good, um, but center, it's just going to be ugly.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that the really interesting thing with this is you had um, Nashville three straight series. In my opinion, they were underpriced. Like if you looked at the series betting prices. Nashville was, I want to say, an underdog in all three, and the St. Louis series was close to pick them, and I thought that was laughable because I thought they were demonstrably better team than St. Louis. If you look at the series price here, they're like plus 150, which is like a 45% implied probability or thereabouts. Um, So they're giving Nashville a shot, but like I, I think if Johansson was in the lineup, you could make the case that they were a better team. I just don't know... One of the one of the issues that I think for for modeling purposes, whether you're actually just thinking about it out loud, whatever, however you approach the sport of hockey, when your team is short in a certain area and then picks up an injury there, or if you're talented like on the blue line and you have a run of cluster injuries where you have three, four injuries in the same position, like how do you control for that? How do you evaluate that? And I think to your point, like you take Ryan Johansson out of their center pool, which is as shallow as any position that they have. Across the organization, how do you? Wh- where are your controls? Like, does Colton Sissons go head to head with Cindy Crosby? Probably, right? Like, th- that's not a great matchup. And then you're going to have Fisher slash someone else um, go head to head with with the Malkin line. Like, that's not great. And and I think I think yes, at the winger position, you're going to match up fine defensively. Again, you still have the best blue line in the NHL. You can throw any pairing out there in any situation. They're probably going to play well. And I think goaltending's close to a wash. But it, it, the question is. Can Nashville centers just maintain enough to let where their where their real advantage is on the blue line manifest itself? And I don't know, especially in Game One, I don't think you could say the answer to that is yes. Like I, I am very pro Nashville. Have been all playoffs, but I think this is a tough spot for them. I, I just don't know how they match up with one, let alone both of Crosby and Malkin with down Ryan Johansson. Like. You can make the case again that they lost by when he went down. They lost maybe the best, most productive line in the NHL. And we talked about it what three months ago, where we we mentioned this line. And we brought him up how how ridiculous they were the Arvidsson Forsberg Yohanson line, and that and that's gone now. So we saw in Game Seven, sorry in Game Six, um, uh, Peter let dropped Philip Forsberg, and I don't know what he's going to do for Game One, but he dropped Forsberg down to line two, basically to let Forsberg roll ride shotgun on him, basically drive his own line, and then he let Arvidson and Neal. Um, roll with line one, but I, I just I think they're going to be really in, t- in tough uh, with that matchup down the middle of the ice. And for game one, with Pittsburgh having last change, like there's a good chance you're going to get some of their third and fourth line centers who are really fourth and fifth line centers going head to head up against one of Crosby and Malkin. Like that, that, that's just not a good matchup. It, it has historically not ended well for the team opposing Pittsburgh, and I I, I think at least for the first game or two, I think you can see Nashville really struggle. Um, I, I, I may I expect them to rally a bit in the series once they start figuring out the matchups and once they get home ice in that matchup. But I think I think game one, maybe even game two, are gonna be ugly.
1: Yeah, let's talk about matchups because with coaching, when I when I view coaching and sort of, you know, comparing two coaches in a series, like a lot of people like breaking down like coaching, who is the edge. I just I don't know if I can really put a handle on it. You know, I could just guess or I could say it's a draw, which is probably the fair way to put it but what it comes down to I think in this series is like you said you alluded to the first two games when Pittsburgh guys last change I wonder what uh, Mike Sullivan does with that does he try to get Crosby like like Crosby away from Suban and Ekholm, which you you presume is is the the pairing that Laviolette's gonna throw against the Crosby line um, or does he does he try to like kind of mix and match and, and all of a sudden he's got three lines that are a little more balanced um, and then you have the Malkin line. Does he try to attack another line with that? Like, I, I feel like with the last change in Pittsburgh, it's especially important, this whole sort of line matching, because the the Predators' defense, as deep as it is, it's going to have its hands full uh, with, with this with this kind of attack, this attack that just comes at you in waves. And we saw it last playoffs, that was sort of the, the narrative around the Mike Sullivan team is that they just don't stop. They come at you constantly. And it's continued to this season. And now, now they're against uh, you know, weaker forwards, so presumably uh, the, the Nashville D will be taking on more responsibility. So um, I wonder how, how, how Sullivan tries to match things up.
0: I, I think what he's going to do, based on some of what I saw last series and then some of what it makes sense this series, is I think he's going to match up against the top line, the Arvidsson line, with Crosby. And he's pr- that probably means he's also going to let Crosby draw Subban. The subban pairing. So if you have the Arvidton line, let's assume Colton Sissons is the center on that line, and you have PK Subban on the pairing, you're basically saying, "Hey Crosby, go break even with that four or five man group, and we're going to let Malkin and our third line go to work on national second, third, and fourth lines." I-, I think that makes a lot of sense, man. Like if you look at Crosby's basically ten year career, aren't a lot of matchups he's lost? No. And you know the wor- the best thing you can say if you're facing Crosby is we managed, or we broke even. The problem with Nashville, again, is their forward depth is really suspicious right now. It's really tight. They could not really have afforded that Johansson injury. And if your first line and your best pairing are basically breaking even with Crosby, 95% of the time, when we talk about that, that would be great. But in Nashville's instance, they don't really have much room for error here because if they're not going to get the goals, then you, you're relying on your depth lines and the and or the Yosi slash Irwin pairings to beat up on Pittsburgh's second, third, and fourth line. And I don't know that they can. Like the Malkin line is going to be the best line remaining out of that group, and they're going to get 15 to 20 minutes at five on five. I, I don't know what that matchup looks like, but if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm going to throw Crosby there. Um, we saw, by the way, as an aside, I, I think he and I think Mike Sullivan's comfortable with that. One of the quiet or subtle things about the Eastern Conference Final Series, Crosby really didn't do much at 5-on-5 in, in in the entire series. Now, he was phenomenal 5-on-4 on the power play, playing low man right in front of the net, but they pretty much let him go head-to-head with some of Eric Carlson and then some of the second Ottawa pairing, the CeCe Feneff pairing. And I think at least up until get, through Game 6, Crosby was only on the ice for one 5-on-5 goal 4. No, I think he was only like a negative two. I think he had only given up like two or three goals against the five-on-five. But it's kind of interesting dynamic because Crosby didn't really have a great series, but I think they were content with, hey, if you can slow down the Carlson pairing some, that's great. Ottawa doesn't have the type of depth that we'd be concerned about that might expose our, our injured blue line, which is, by the way, another story. Um, but you know I, I don't I think that worked maybe to mixed effects though like the Carlson pairing still was fantastic in that series probably the only reason why it went seven games um but you know you could say hey look trade-off was what what killed Ottawa in that series uh the malkin line who terrorized Ottawa and their third line terrorized Ottawa so I, I think if you to that, to that to that end you're saying hey look Crosby take the blunt of it again we're gonna open things up for our depths forwards, because we don't think the other team can fall him down. I think that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you up. You bring up a, a good point there, and one guy I had down is sort of a, I don't know if you want to call it an X-factor, but a guy to watch out for, a possible game-breaker, is uh, Victor Arvidsson, and, you know, he's he was the fancy stats darling last year and years before, and now he's sort of the mainstream darling, like, everyone knows about him now, it's not a secret, but he's been cold since uh, the Chicago series. He has zero goals on uh, 27 shots, so I feel like um, they're gonna want to give him favorable matchups so he can, you know, cash in on those chances. Uh, otherwise, you know, their their depth is so so thin. Uh, they lack. Of, there is a lack of depth um, that they're gonna really struggle there. So if they can't get Arvidsson going, and maybe Laviolette in three in, in games three and four, he tries to get that line um, away from Crosby because, as you noted, Crosby is capable of shutting down other lines or at least you know drawing even against tough competition. So. Um, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on Arvidsson. You know, a very interesting player in general, and, and a guy that's gone cold. And you wonder if uh, that's puck luck or if he's just if he's shooting from the wrong spots. Um, so, or, or, if, or if maybe Johansson had a greater effect on on him than we thought. And uh, I mean, obviously this is a small sample size, but you know, not scoring on 27 shots in a row is, is pretty tough.
0: So I, I think Arvidsson's a fine player. I think he probably benefits a bit from playing with Johansson, but I, I think he can pretty much play with any center in this league. I, I expect him to wake up a bit, especially through games 3-4, um, when they can get a bit of a better spot for him. But I I, I actually think the most interesting storyline here is when Nashville has last change, what does Peter Laviolette do with his defensive bearings? Now, despite common, whatever the hell, the mainstream media, and I'm using air quotes, the mainstream media is writing about Nashville's defensive bearings, it is clear and obvious, and I actually think I'm going to write about this for tomorrow's column, that that Laviolette uses his best defensive pairing is the P.K. Subban pairing because they get all the tough matchups. The problem, again, with this series is you have Crosby on one line and Malkin on another line, and either of those matchups are easy. And if you watch the Ottawa series, again, Sidney Crosby, and I'm, again, grading on an incredible curve. I'm grading on a Sidney Crosby curve. So if yeah. he's not averaging like a point a game, I'm giving him a hard time. Um, he had a very quiet series. He wasn't nearly as productive as he had been at 5 5 The guy who killed Ottawa was Evgeny Malkin, and that's because Ottawa didn't have the depth really to match up with, you know, at multiple layers of matchups. To Nashville's point, do you put Subban against Malkin because Subban could play more of a physical game against them, or do you put Subban against Crosby, but because Subban's physical game plus his ability to control play 5-1-5 five Could take Crosby out of the series, or or at least out of that matchup as much as you could possibly take Crosby out. Like that, that's the interesting question because maybe you say, I'm fine with uh, PK Subban playing in either situation. Like that's great. Well, whichever you choose though, remember, Roman Yossi's pairing, who are far less defensively proficient, are going to have to play against one of Malkin or Crosby. And that's really where your concern is. So maybe the question is, who would you rather Yossi's pairing play against, Crosby or Malkin? I don't know the answer to that question.
1: Yeah, and well, they've got an embarrassment of riches back there. And 50 minutes of a 60-minute game is generally devoted to those top four guys. And then their third pairing is actually decent. Matt Irwin, Yannick Weber, like it's nothing to write home about, but it's it's a quality, you know, a thir- third pairing there. It's it's capable. So uh, this is, the whole sort of main storyline ac- around the series is best offense versus best defense. And I'm, you know... I'm curious to see what happens in those other 10 minutes. Are Are Pittsburgh able to somehow take advantage of, of Matt Irwin and, and Yannick Weber and, and kind of uh, unlock the code and, and sort of get past Pekka Um, Or is is it just going to be too much? Is that not enough time to actually uh, make a difference in the game? And then on the flip side, Pittsburgh's defensemen, you know, latang has been out all, all, all uh, postseason. That's no news to anyone Um. Chad Ruedel is day-to-day. We'll see what happens there, but not really a, an influential guy. They're just – I don't know. I think the wheels might fall off. And, and, and you know, we might be talking about how Nashville is taking advantage of, of Pittsburgh um, with even that weak forward group.
0: I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually made this point a couple times. I thought the wheels were starting to come off in the Ottawa series. Um, Ole Mata specifically um, and Ron Hainsey specifically – struggled in that series. And I at some points, pretty mightily. Um, Ottawa is not a a great floor-checking team. They are not a team known to put a lot of pressure on defenders. But I thought the Pittsburgh Blue Line... Now, again, everything is in context here. Chris Letang, their best defenders out, and they are just trying to manage because the Blue Line is just really beaten up, and you've got a lot of guys playing more minutes than they were forecasted to at the beginning of the season. With that said we're here and this is what they currently have. And I I thought Ron Hainsey looked slow to the outside and he got beat pretty frequently by average or above average skating wingers for Ottawa. And I thought Olimata turned the puck over way too frequently in the defensive zone and kept putting his team in a a bit of an additional bind. I, I don't think we realized it as much because Pittsburgh through certain stretches were just, incredible at bottling up Ottawa in their defensive third. And we were kind of, you know, not not and nitpicking fairly, though, at, at Ottawa's blue line and their struggles, specifically the second third pairings, and third parents and their depth forwards of being able to break pucks out. But I thought when Ottawa did get it in deep, I thought Pittsburgh had pretty similar struggles. You just didn't see it manifest as much. And, and to your point, if Nashville um, can actually apply pressure to that blue line, I think you might see that break. I, I think you saw a little bit of breakage already in the last series um, and and I certainly, although it's already it feels it like a year ago, Washington pretty much put it on Pittsburgh for like four of those seven games. Yeah. And it's going to be forgotten because Pittsburgh was the team that advanced and that's, I understand it, but the shot clock almost broke about two or three <laughs> games and yeah. Pittsburgh's blue line was just hanging on. So I, I think, I think you make a really good point here. Like I, I think there's, a very real chance that one of the stories that comes out after game two or game three is, okay, Pittsburgh's blue line isn't hanging on or or, or isn't holding up, holding on. What do we do? How do we rearrange this? How do we insulate these guys, especially going into Nashville now?
1: Well, I think the best way to illustrate, you know, you brought up Ole Matta. The best way to illustrate the problems on Pittsburgh's back end is game one, the game-winning goal, uh, Bobby Ryan, gets a breakaway from center ice, and Ole Matta just couldn't even come close to catching up with him. And Bobby Ryan's not, like, a phenomenal skater. He's probably probably an average skater. And Mata just, he turned the wrong way. He turned too slow, and then he just could not catch up. And you just, you look at that, and you go, wow, that, I give almost more credit or more discredit to uh, to Matta than I give credit to uh, to Bobby Ryan, even though he had a great finish on that goal. But, there's just been, you know, Brian Dumoulin, Ian Cole, like you go down the list and you go, do I trust like any of these guys? It's, it's really that shaky.
0: The, the, the offset though is I don't know that there's any forward better at carrying some defensive burden off of his defenders than Sidney Crosby. I mean, this is exactly why it pays to have a player who is so lethal defensively as he is offensively. I mean, it's, it's not the similar to, it's like Patrice Bergeron on steroids, really. It's like if Patrice Bergeron could score 90 points in a year. Um, it, it, it's, it's unfair. It's unfair for most matchups. It's going to be really tough for Nashville, but you know, Crosby again, will this, will this be a breakout series for him? He was as quiet as he has really, I actually would love to know how many series historically Crosby has scored less or been less involved five on five than he was in the Ottawa series. He was. I don't want to say a non-factor, but pretty close. It was it was the Malkin line and the lines beyond beyond them that really did most of the damage. And I, I thought Crosby had a phenomenal series all in. I, it, his work on the power play was almost unspeakably good. But they clearly deployed him in different situations. And maybe some of this is post-concussion. Maybe some of this is Sullivan thinks he's going to be the shutdown guy because his, his blue line can't really carry, they can, maybe they can only carry 80% of their normal defensive responsibilities. I don't know. Um, but I do know that if 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 they kind of treat this similarly, you might see Crosby more more intensely or more active on the defensive side and really playing maybe one on five against Nashville's five best five band unit and then letting Sullivan say, Hey, look, we're gonna let the Malkin line go to work offensively. We're gonna take that trading. Um it, one other thing though I, I wanted to bring up, I really wanted to see it. I don't know if we saw it much if at all in the Ottawa series, but when Pittsburgh gets down in games, especially in the third period, like especially in this National Series, you have to put Malkin and Crosby together. You know, with seven minutes left, right? Like, I, yeah. I feel like Sullivan's kind of reluctant to play that that card. It's in his pocket. He's very reluctant to play it. But there's no team in the league has an answer for that. And if you're really chasing a goal and time is against you, why would you not put those guys together?
1: Uh, like off the top of my head, I don't remember ever hearing you know someone ask him that in a media scrum and hearing an answer, or or if it just hasn't been brought up because. Um, it's just it, see, it seems odd like you're like, why would you put them together but then in, in the dying minutes like why wouldn't you right? So um, yep yeah and you, you bring up Crosby's five on five versus Ottawa. Um, he kind of made up for it and you alluded to this earlier on on five on four and I think if we're looking at special teams, both teams are decent penalty killers, penalty killing units, but the power play is so much better on the Pittsburgh side that you gotta kind of give them the edge there with all the weapons they have. And how yep. how good it's been in the playoffs. So um, I don't know. Maybe 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 that becomes a thing where Crosby continues to quote unquote be a shutdown guy, uh, and then on the power play he's kind of he lets loose and, and he's able to get his chances. Um, how, how do you see uh, the goaltending matchup?
0: It's I I, I don't I I want to say it's close to a wash, but I am for a couple of reasons. I've never been fully sold on Pecorino. I actually think when – I can't remember what show it was. When we were previewing some of the series, we talked about Chicago National, and I was like, man, I love Nashville, but I just – this is after a full year of Pecorino playing well. I was like, I just don't trust him. Like, And it's not because I just have this innate distrust of him. It's just that for like three years leading up into this season, he had been average or below average for most of that time. And, you know, he had, he had a, a definite bounce back year, and I've been impressed by it. But, again, he gave up a couple of pretty crappy goals in the Anaheim series. Matt Murray's playing well. Um, I think it's close to a wash, maybe even a slight edge to Pittsburgh. I thought Matt Murray was great in the Ottawa series. Um, I, I, I think I think you have to give a slight edge to Pittsburgh here, but in, in the grand scheme of things, like I, I think a lot of what concerns me about Nashville is I don't know that Pecorino can steal a series today. Five years ago he could. Today, no. But I do think that he can lose you a series, and that that is why I'm kind of I'm out on that. So when I say it's a wash, yeah, they're probably pretty close in talent. But I think I'm inclined to give Pittsburgh a slight edge there too. And then, as you mentioned it earlier, we would be remiss to not mention Pittsburgh has a definitive advantage on the power play. Like that, Nashville has got to stay out of the box. And I know it's like that's not great advice. Every team <laughs> yeah. should try and stay out of the box, but you cannot play four on five against that top Pittsburgh unit and expect to survive. Like, they are just too good at moving the puck. They will find teams. They will score goals.
1: The thing with Rene is that the defense core, you know, even you could even say their third pairing of Irwin and and Weber, like uh, that whole six-pack of of defensemen are really good at keeping shots to the outside, not allowing players to get to the net, which is actually sort of a Pittsburgh thing. So we'll see how that plays out. But – I think that's helped Rene and withstand this this historic save percentage. And I'm not I'm not discrediting the guy. He's having a great a great playoffs and, you know, overall a pretty good year, but I, obviously that weighs into it. And, you know, that could work out for another four games and they win and they're Stanley Cup champions or it could completely go downhill. I don't know. So it's it's one of those things where I I I'm, I'm, I'm half half on the Pekka-Rene bandwagon, half off of it. I just I don't really know what to think because throughout the playoffs, I've been waiting for sort of um, that really bad game or that just you know bad bad period where you go, okay, this is actually like you know he's back to reality because no goalie is really as good as he's been. I mean, uh, nine forty one over nineteen games. That's that's pretty phenomenal, but like I said, you know, you got four games to win. If he could, you know, it's conceivable that he continues that for four, you know, four wins. So,
0: yeah, that's uh, if, if if we haven't seen the lesson of a lot of crazy crap can happen in a seven game series. Just look at the Ottawa National, uh, the Ottawa Pittsburgh series. I mean, th- there was that series could have been over in five. It went seven double overtime, and I don't even think it was crazy that it went seven double overtime. Like the games Ottawa won. It was just weird, but like they were in it. Like they, I remember game one, like Ottawa looked like the better team. It was it was bizarre. Like sometimes you'll get these things, like, yeah, can Renee be fantastic for four of six games in a series? Absolutely. Like I don't I don't doubt that at all. Um I, I just I don't know that he is the goalie that I wanna make my living betting on in the playoffs. And and I think the one saving grace though if you're Nashville is Matt Murray well he's been fantastic. Is you're not facing Braden Holtby or Carey Price or Henrik Lundqvist. Like Matt Murray is a, probably a fair comparable for Pekka Peck Rene right now. So if you're Nashville you say, "Hey, look, we think goaltending's a draw." And yeah, we're t- we're we're going to lose the center battle, but we're going to make up for it on the blue line. Like I I think that is a totally fair 3 point, "Hey, look, we can win this series because the argument from Predators fans." Like their blue line is demonstrably better than Pittsburgh's. Their centers aren't as good, and goaltending is probably a wash. So if you stay out of the box and avoid giving Pittsburgh a power play, you know a, a, a high number of power plays in a given game, why couldn't Nashville win the series? That, that's that's to my larger point. Like, if you gave me Nashville at plus one fifty or forty five percent implied probability, and I had Ryan Johansson in the lineup, I would I would recommend I would bet Nashville all day because I think that series would be close to pick them if anything. Um, but I, I just don't know how to account for his loss and the fact that they just don't have a whole lot at the center position behind him. I think you're going to have a couple guys who are really overwhelmed in these head-to-heads.
1: Well, it's an interesting matchup in a sense that traditionally uh, we think of cup winners as having you know, that number one defenseman. It's like the last, I don't know, 10 cup winners had like a Norris-quality defenseman, and that was Chris Letang on Pittsburgh. But they could conceivably win the cup without a number one defenseman. And then you look at Nashville, we always think about Hockey teams, number one center, number one center. You need that number one center to be successful. Consistent. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you, got, you did. You did get a hat trick the other day. Um, but yeah, it's like it's like it's like these sort of non traditional things happening, and it's kind of been a weird playoffs in general. So I'm not completely surprised. I mean, these two teams being in the final, not crazy. I mean, if you were picking to you know teams to advance and and kind of playing out your bracket, it's not like outrageous. Ottawa being in the final would have been outrageous, but I just think along the way, so many odd things have happened. It's been a hard, uh, playoffs to, to predict and to, to get a handle on. And a lot of that is the senators. And you look at, you know, a team like the Minnesota wild bowing out early and and we thought they were going to be something special. And, um, you know, the capitals and, and penguins beating each other up in seven games. It's this playoffs just seems like it's been, it's been different than in years past.
0: It certainly has. I I think the Ottawa thing was a little, it certainly was surprising, you know, in the abstract of Ottawa making the conference final, like that's a surprise. But when you consider that they went through Boston, New York, that, that wasn't crazy to me. I mean, I thought that Boston series was a total coin flip and I thought Ottawa was the better team. well before they actually dropped the puck in that Ottawa, New York series, Um, their road was different and it benefited Ottawa and credit to them. Like this, Sometimes it pays – this is the one thing I will say. I am very anti-current NHL playoff format. But the one thing that has killed me is, you know, Leafs fans, I've seen a lot of, well, man, like, hey, if this would have just broken differently. Like, this is why you need to win your games. Because we came back to game 82 of the Leafs. You win, you beat Columbus, you don't have to play Washington in the first round. That's that's just the reality. Um. And and, and they would have been in a much better position to make an Ottawa-like run If they didn't have to play, in my opinion, still the best team in the NHL in the Washington Capitals. And I think if if you were saying this has been a weird playoff and there have been a lot of surprising things, I still say the biggest surprise was that Washington could could not beat Pittsburgh. Every game looked decidedly in favor of Washington, except for the goals. And at random points, you know, you had Hopey had one or two games that were an atrocity. Then you had one game where the Washington offense was totally dead. And, you know, at aggregate, Washington looked like a demonstrably better team, but they still lost in seven games. And, you know, everyone will write about the Capitals curse, but, like, if you're a Capitals fan, talk about a blown opportunity, man. Like, you would have played Ottawa in the conference final. You would have easily, I I think in my opinion, easily beaten Ottawa um, in that matchup. And you would be playing Nashville for a Stanley Cup shot. But you you couldn't win. Again, like I said, win your games. And you, you had a chance to beat Pittsburgh. You were the better team. You couldn't find the. You, you, you didn't get goaltending for a game or two. You didn't get offense for a game or two. That's going to kill you in the end. But uh, like, I, I still think to this to this day, through the conference finals, I think Washington losing in the second round was still the biggest surprise.
1: And if we can get a prediction from you, uh, first I'll throw out some. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of models out there that do playoff probabilities and. And I'll, I'll run through a couple. Uh, moneypuck.com has the Preds 57% favorites over the Pens, obviously 43%. Uh, HockeyViz has the Pens at 56%. Uh, Dom Lushishan of the Hockey News has uh, the Pens at 59% over uh, the Preds at 41 what, what, Like who, who are you giving the advantage to? And I guess in, in how many games do you think this uh, series will be over?
0: So I'm going to take Pittsburgh, and I'm going to take him in seven. And I I can actually say that my pick would have been different if they didn't lose Ryan Johansson. And I I am one to not overreact to a player loss, but mostly because I think we overstate the impact of injuries. But the one area where I think injuries really hurt a team is if they are either cluster injuries, like I said, to the same position, or if you take a loss to a marquee player in an area where you have no one that's obvious or intuitive to step up, to the plate and offset that loss, or even close to offset that loss, I think you start to get burned there. And at the end of the day, like we can nitpick it, yeah, they have a strength here, they have a strength there. I just don't know what Nashville does down the middle of the down the middle of the ice against Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. One of those two guys, and maybe even both, is probably going to run free in this series. And you know, Nashville's blue line is that good. I think they'll be able to stave off some of it. But I, I just don't know how how they have an answer in a long series for that combination of players. If Johansson was available and they just kind of had to piecemeal an effort against Evgeny Malkin through their second and third lines in a second pairing, I'd give them a puncher's chance. I, I would actually say, you know, if Johansson was healthy and they had that top line still together and they could, you know, they they had everything basically in place. I would say my pick would change probably to Nashville in seven. Uh, but I, I think Pittsburgh in a long series here. Um, I do think that Nashville. I will say this. I do think this is going to be a very home-oriented series. It's pure gut, but I think matchups are going to matter a lot in this series because of how disparate the strengths and weaknesses are here. And, and I, that's why I think it might look ugly in Game One. And watch, I say this. Nashville win four nothing running away, but <laughs> I, I think Pittsburgh's going to be in a really good spot to win in Game One. Um, and, and I think when it goes back to Nashville, I think you're going to see that the, the atmosphere is going to be ridiculous. They'll get. They could. They could theoretically frontload their lineup and really match them up hard against, you know, maybe the Malkin line and just throw garbage at the Carlton line or vice versa. But they can control the matchups better um, to how Laviolette sees it, and I, I think there's going to be more opportunity for them. So that's why I see the series going long. But I, I think Pittsburgh, at the end of the day, they're, they're going to be too tough a matchup for the Nashville. So I'll take them in seven.
1: Yeah, in a very in very boring fashion. I have I have Pittsburgh and seven written down here too, and. I just had one line of, of, of the Johansson factor. like, And you you touched on it, so I don't need to go down that road. But it's, it's – I mean, like, it, I wouldn't be surprised if Nashville pulls it off. They've been so impressive throughout these playoffs. They were good in the regular season and just sort of went through these weird lulls. And, you know, Phil, Philip Forsberg not scoring for the first, like, 20 games. Some crazy – and then he goes on this run where, he, you know, he gets two hat-tricks in a row. Like, they've just – they've been good all year. And they still are good. And they've been, looked good in these playoffs. I just – the Johansson factor just, it stings, and you, you, you just, I don't know if you can offset that, so.
0: I I, I don't, I, I, I would make this point. Let's say you think, I think everyone would agree he's the top three player on the team. I don't know if you, where, some people him slot him differently against whether Forsberg's more valuable or Subban's more valuable, but let's say you think one of those two guys is more valuable, P.K. Subban or Philip Forsberg. Okay. If I told you you get Johansson back, but you lose Forsberg or lose Subban, let's just say Subban, for example. I think Nashville would still have a better shot because I know my center depth wouldn't be crushed. And if I lost Subban, yeah, he might be my best player. He might play the most minutes. But my blue line can absorb that injury better than my centers can. And I, that's where I think an example of, yeah, I'll give you – i I'll trade an injury to maybe a guy who's slightly less talented, but just because he plays such an important position in this matchup, that's where I think that matters. And I, and I think that's like if, if you could – you know, in a in a vacuum, say, yeah, we'll trade you Johansson for Subban. And Pittsburgh, of course, might take that. They might say, yeah, Subban's a better player, good riddance. But I, I think Nashville could absorb that type of injury more in this series than the Candy Johansson
1: injury. Yes, sir. Uh, I think you're on the right track with that. And I'm going to send you off to go get a margarita by the pool or whatever, whatever you get up to in Vegas. And, uh, Travis, I appreciate you coming on. Why don't you let everyone know where they can uh, find your work? TSN.ca. I
0: think I'm going to do a uh, an article on the Preds and prep for Game One tomorrow. And uh, one other thing, man, I, I just realized this long weekend when there's no NBA or NHL on, <laughs> and it's just like random Game 45 of the Major League Baseball season. It's pretty boring in the sports world.
1: Yeah, you're you're a huge NBA fan. Are you? Would you say you're you watch more basketball than hockey, or is it the other way around?
0: Um, I watch. I, I would say it's actually pretty damn equal. Uh, maybe a slight edge, doc just because I'm so much more actively engaged in writing and discussing it. Um, but I, I mean, I love the NBA. The the playoffs this year haven't. The NBA playoffs have not caught. And we we've talked we talked about the NHL kind of having a weird playoffs the NBA's had a really weird because you've had, you had the first round blowouts, which are kind of expected at this point. yeah. And then you had injuries to really key personnel in the series that you think like Kawhi Leonard going down in game one of the San Antonio series killed that possible matchup. And yet at the end of the day, like everyone is killing the NBA right, the NBA right now, the ratings are up. And I think you are going to get like all time, all time ratings for this Cleveland Golden State series. So all of the complaining about, yeah, it's too predictable. It's too, it's, the talent wins too much of the time in the NBA. It's like a totally different animal than the NHL. I think you're going to get absolute record ratings across the board for this uh, three, uh gold State say Cleveland three. I think it's going to be just rating after rating breaking, game one,
1: two, three, and beyond. How could you not tune in? It's LeBron versus Curry and his buddies and Duran and... You go down the list. These teams are both historic. Well, you know, any team LeBron's on is basically borderline historic in terms of his effect. And he's he's been in the finals seven times in a row, if I remember correctly. It's, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah,
0: I think there's a good question. I I know like it's very hot take debate talk, but and I I think there's a good question if he, whether or not he's better than Michael Jordan at this point in his career. I I I am ready to get on board with that wow. Chip. I, I just think he's a better player. I mean, period. I think he's a better player.
1: Well, he definitely affects uh, the defensive end more, and is just more of a sort of powerhouse in terms of his size and the way he impacts every aspect of the game. I feel like Jordan was a little—no, I'm not going to say one-dimensional by any means, but he was, he had less dimensions, if that makes sense, uh, compared to to LeBron. It, there,
0: there's no answer for a 6'8", 245 guy who can guard one through five, and who it doesn't matter one through five can't guard him, like. There's no flaw in his game, and he's this massively hulking specimen that the NBA has really never seen before. I, it's there's, that's not a not a knock on Jordan at all. It's just LeBron's got sixty pounds and five inches on him. Like it's not a very easy way to match up with that type of guy. So I, I think Golden State will still win the series, but man, I am pumped because I, I think LeBron is going to be his sicko locked-in usual self, and I, I think you're going to get Hall of Fame uh, type efforts from him again.
1: So basically, your your schedule is locked up as like NHL, NBA, NHL, NBA every day. Just yeah. Do not, John.
0: Do not. <laughs> do not expect to hear much from me in the next week, two weeks. Sorry, the NBA doesn't start until June one. We got to wait another week.
1: Oh man, the the the, the yeah. build up will just continue.
0: We'll just keep debating it every day. Who's got the advantage of game one? <laughs> Who's got the advantage of game two? All right, now who have got the advantage of game three?
1: All right, Travis, nice talking to you. And uh, if people want to check you out, tsn.ca and uh, Travis Yost on Twitter.
0: All right, take care, John.